Welcome to Business Done Differently, where baseball team owner turned showman Jesse Cole speaks with successful entrepreneurs who stand out in business and in life by thinking differently and challenging the status quo. We believe whatever is normal, do the exact opposite, and that normal gets normal results. If you want to stand out and be different, this one's for you. Today on Business Done Differently, we have Tom Ziegler, the CEO of Ziegler Inc. Tom speaks around the world, hosts the Ziegler Show, and is the author of Choose to Win, How to Transform Your Life One Simple Choice at a Time. He's a game changer, and I'm pumped to have you on the show today, Tom. Wow, it's great to be here. It's awesome, man. You just light up. They can't hear what I'm saying, but you just light up the screen, man. It's awesome. <laughs> I think everyone knows that's listening to the show that I do wear a yellow tuxedo every day. And I think that's, you know, to go into the theme, it's a choice that I make about this is who I am and I'm amplifying and I'm going all in. And it's slightly scary, confusing for a lot of people, but it's fun. And, you know, I just want to get into this. At first, thank you again for having me on your show, The Ziegler Show. Uh, loved being there with Kevin, your host. And what was the goal? You know, obviously, you've grown up in an unbelievable leadership family. And now you're like, all right, I'm putting out my first book. What was the goal with this book? The goal was pretty simple. There's so much in our industry about, man, you should just be happy. You should just feel better. You should just be motivated. You should just be excited. And you know what? If the right person tells you that in the right way, about 10% of the time it works. The rest of the time we hear it and we're like, that's not good enough. I need a plan. I need some ideas. You know, what can I do specifically? And that's what Choose to Win was all about. It's about not that life isn't unfair and hard and all that, because it is, right? Life is just tough. But at the end of the day, we got a choice. And when we choose the right things, life tends to work out in a lot better way. And I love how, Tom, you keep it simple. Like, I believe, you know, if you keep things simple, it makes everything else easier. And so many times we try to make things complex. And you grew up in this family where just, you know, you're hearing leadership ideas and thoughts every single day. And I, I just, I'm really intrigued on, why this message? Well, I have to, I'll just shoot straight with you. One of my friends called me an intellectual engineer and I got all excited about that. I looked it up on Google and when you Google it, there's an acronym and the acronym is N-E-R-D. So, <laughs> so I just, I own my nerdness. You know, I own the fact that I like to know the why behind the why. And mm. so that's really the reason why I approached it from a foundational perspective, from a why behind the why. I believe there's a sequence that gets you better results than just doing it uh, haphazardly. I believe there are certain foundational things that if we don't get right as soon as we can, they're going to come back and we have to deal with it later. Mm -hmm. And so the book is kind of a whole process of, wait a second. I want to leave a legacy. I want to make a difference. I want to do things that ripple through eternity. What can I change right now today in a very small, purposeful, intentional way that's going to create a better tomorrow, which will allow me to do the same thing? So it's about momentum. It's about these little things that we can do. You know, I love it. And you start the book with why, which, you know, obviously was made famous by Simon Sinek. And, you know, my book was Find Your Yellow Tux. And it's really find what makes you stand out. And why do you start with the why? I mean, you talk about success, significance, legacy. You've worked with so many companies. Why is it so important for you to start your book like that? Bottom line, as Zig Ziglar said, if you don't know where you're going, any direction will do. <laughs> so I think if we're going to make progress, it should be in the right direction. 
Mm-hmm. And I remember, here's an illustration. When my daughter was in high school, she was a junior. We took her up, and she she sat through these two days of tests. And they had a psychologist there. It was awesome. And the result was, is they looked at all facets of her personality, her gifts and talents, her strengths, her weaknesses, you know, her preferences, what she liked, what she didn't like, her physical attributes. And this is what they said. They said, you know what? A pie goes 360 degrees. And what we're going to do is we're going to show you in which direction you should head off in, right? So when you go to college, we want you to be thinking about courses and ideas in these general areas. It wasn't like the end-all purpose, hey, boom, this is what you're going to do. It was just saying, hey, you know what? For you and your life, the way you're created, you might want to head off in this direction. And as you gain more information, it will, it will help you hone in to what you're doing. So when you start with why, when you identify your gifts and talents, when you dig inside and say, what am I built for? And you kind of go through that process. Immediately, there might be 50 opportunities in front of you, but they all kind of fall into that same area. Mm. And so if you just head off in that, you're going to be much better off. And I think that the great advice there too, and you mentioned it early in the book, is just start. I mean, so many people, you know, they have all these big dreams and they thoughts, they don't write them down. They don't actually start making progress to them. They're not patient enough. And so when you talk about changing your mindset and just starting, what does that mean to you? You know, it's funny. I don't know why it popped into my mind, but I thought of salespeople. I mean, if you're listening on the phone and or in the podcast and you've ever been in sales or you are in sales, yeah. when I do sales training, I'll often ask this question. How many of you today would like to get one year of sales experience in 90 days time? Well, guess what happens? 100% of the hands go up. <laughs> so here's the rocket science. I say make four times as many calls. It's, you know what happened? Because in sales, it, it, there's a learning curve, right? And, and I'm learning and I'm studying and I'm practicing. But really, the learning comes from the feedback. It comes from customer interaction, prospects saying yes, no, maybe. That's where we learn. And so when I say just start, when I say get going, it's because we're going to learn things every step we take that's going to inform us, hey, do I need to adjust to the left or to the right? Mm-hmm. If we stay where we are, we never learn it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so important. I I talk a lot about doing and then learning. And you have to start doing so then you can learn and move forward. And about increasing your output. It sounds like you train that on so much. I mean, there's a lot of people, Tom, you've probably heard, even yourself now are a personal brand. You know, everyone to an extent is a personal brand. Well, you want to start getting more leverage, start making more an impact. You got to increase your output, the things that you can control. If you're just putting out one post a week or one post a day, how do you increase that? And so when you just mentioned, yeah, make four times the calls, it's so simple. But my question is, what's holding people back or even what's held you back? (laughs) Golly, well, I'll just speak to what held me back. You know, what are other people going to say? What if I call four times as many people and I get four times as many no's? (laughs) Well, the reality is, is I will. I'll get four times as many no's. And as I get better, I might get three and a half times as many no's. I'll get a lot more yeses. And it's it's a mindset. So when I first started speaking, I was very apprehensive. I didn't want to do it. I was nervous. I had that thing in your gut. You get sometimes when you feel like, golly, am I in front of the right group of people? And I had to come home and go, what's the deal? And this is the deal I had is for some reason in my mind, I thought people wanted me to speak like my dad. Mm. And it's like being Jack Nicholas's son. You know, I mean... <laughs> Come on, there's nobody that's going to play the game that way. 
right? I mean, there's nobody who's going to ca- carry the stage like my dad did. But then I realized something. Other people weren't expecting me to speak like my dad. They were expecting me to be the best version of Tom Ziegler I could be. And so that gave me the comfort to say, you know what? I've got a dry sense of humor. I'm a little bit, you know, intellectual engineer. I'm a little bit <laughs> why behind the why. And so why don't I run with that? Like you say, amplify who you are. Yeah. Right. And so that to me was how I got started. Now, the interesting thing is dad never said, I want you to speak. He never said, I want you to sell. I want you to run the company. He never said any of that. All he said was, whatever you do, do it 100% effort and 100% integrity. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty strong, pretty strong guidance. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I think one thing you mentioned there to second, Tom, was uh, the comparison trap. So many of us get in this point where we're trying to compare ourselves with others. And you know what? It happens first in our mind that we're trying to think literally, who are we trying to be like? And as soon as you eliminate that fear, it makes it very easy to start. But I'll tell you, and I'm sure, Tom, you're working with more of these groups and these businesses and speaking. It's happening more and more because everybody is amplified. No filters. They're out everywhere. I mean, they're using filters. They're out their highest self as they're showing. And it's like, how do I be that way? And so is there a way that you could train someone? Again, I think this is business done differently, but you got to get to the root of it. And you got to train yourself to not compare and not worry about what others think and just start being you. Yeah. You know, uh, one of my mentors is Seth Godin. Mm. And one of the things he does differently is he never reads a review. He never looks at feedback. He never looks at somebody's response to a post. <laughs> right. He's, you know, one of my good friends, Bob Bodine, he says, go where you're celebrated, not tolerated. Mm. And so what do we do? You know, we, we get all hyperventilating over people who are critical or people who say, you can change this or change that. And we ignore the people who are standing up and applauding. Yeah. I heard Simon Sinek talk recently and he said, someone asked him, have you ever had a bad speaking engagement? He said, no, I've never had one. They're like, how come you never had one? He goes, I don't go to those engagements. I only go to places where people believe in what I'm saying. And I speak in front of those people. And I think it's fascinating. I'm sure I've had some bad speaking engagements. I'm sure you may have. It's like, maybe I'm in the wrong room. Have you ever been in the situation where like, I shouldn't be speaking to these people. They don't feel the same way, believe the same way. Right. Yeah. You know, one of my friends is doing a little bit of work with Eric Thomas. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said that Eric had some struggles because he got some notoriety and then he got invited to some areas that were a little out of his sweet spot. Mm. And then he realized, wait a second, I have a message for everybody, but the people who are most going to embrace it are the people I can relate to. And, and all of us in life are that way. And so why not make the 10 or 20% extraordinarily happy and not worry about the 80%? I love that. I love that. I want to go into one of my favorite quote from the book. And it was so simple. You said it in a speech or a Q&A. You didn't even realize it. But the fastest way to success is to replace bad habits with good habits. So simple. We can very easily write down all of our bad habits, replace them. Talk to me how someone, a business owner, someone in business right now can apply that. Pretty simple. What are you frustrated with? What's holding you back? What's keeping you from hitting your number, growing a little bit, developing the right person? And then there's a new quote that I'm, it's not mine. I read it somewhere, but I love it. And it says this, a tree's fruitfulness depends on its rootfulness. Mm. So another way to look at it is what's the fruit that you want your business to have, right? Is it like wowed customers and total referrals and, you know, how are you going to grow and all those good things? 
So what is the root that you've got to feed in order to get that fruit? And what is the thing that's preventing you from feeding that root? So I was talking with the guy. He wanted his dream job, right? So he's working the day job. And he says, I'm going to build my own business. And da, 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 da. And I'm like, okay, that's awesome. He goes, yeah, I'm, for the next six months, I'm going to come home. I'm going to spend an hour or two every day in the evening building my dream job. And on the weekends, three or four hours. And that's how I'm going to, in six months from now, if everything goes well, I can quit my day job, do my dream job full time. It'll be ready. Awesome. So three months later, I touch base with him. How's it going? Well, I really haven't done anything. Well, why not? Well, I get home and I just don't have any energy. Well, why not? Well, could it be because he's having six bags of Cheetos for dinner every night? <laughs> you know, he's carrying around some extra weight. So the point is the bad habit of eating the wrong food causes the physical result of not having energy, being overweight, not having clarity in the evening, which prevents him from his dream. And so what's the little bad habit that we can change that allow you to get your dream? Well, it seems like a business habit, right? But it's not. It's a physical habit. That's holding me back. And so we talk about the ropes that hold us down in the book. And that's how business needs to look at it. What are the little bad habits that you can replace with a good habit? Stop eating Cheetos. Yeah. <laughs> now, I don't have anything against Cheetos in moderation. It's how do you start your day on purpose? How do you, you know, you can't control a lot of things that happen to you throughout the day, but you can start your day. And whether it's getting up a little earlier, you know, writing down, you go in the book about goal setting and you give a great story about a gentleman who wanted to get a certain level and revenue and he completely changed that. Can you share that and how that leads into your philosophy on goal setting? Yeah. Are you talking about, I've got several in the, the book. The additional $300,000. Yeah. So one of my good friends, Michael Watts is in the book. And so for five years, right after the mortgage crisis, he was in high-end home remodeling. And so for five years after the mortgage crisis, he didn't make any money. I mean, he barely had enough to pay himself and his people. And he comes to me and he says, I want to set a goal to earn some money to make a profit so I can pay bonuses to me and my people. So I said, how much? He said, well, I'm at 1.7 the last five years. I want to go to 2 million. So we set the goal. He's a detailed guy, wrote it out. And then I started corresponding with him every quarter, had a call with him. So at the end of the first month or the quarter, he's a little bit ahead. The end of the second uh, quarter, he's substantially ahead. I talked to him in November before the end of the year. He was going to hit his number, $2 million, in the middle of November. When I talked to him in January, he hit 2.3. So here's the deal. He had done $1.7 million. He had a goal to hit $2 million, and then he hit 2.3. And so I said, Michael... I can understand being laser focused and getting to 2 million, but how the heck did you get from 2 to 2.3? And for about a minute, he was quiet. He's a thinker. I kind of like him, right? He's kind of like me. And then he comes out and he says, the reason that I went from 2 to 2.3 is I worked on my goals every day. And I'm like, okay, got it. So you did an extra 300,000 because you worked on your goals every day. He said, yeah. Look, Michael, that's 25000 a month, right? 25 times 12, 300. He goes, yeah, that's right. I said, most people, they work on their goals between six and 10 minutes a day because all you do is review them, put your priorities down, record what you did yesterday and plan your day. Is that what you did? He said, yeah. I said, well, eight minutes a day, 30 days in a month, that's 240 minutes. He goes, yeah, where are you going? And I said, well, you made an extra 25000 a month and you spent 240 minutes doing it. I said, dude, you're making a hundred bucks a minute working on your goals. And isn't that crazy? It, that, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. 
it's a laser focus we all need. But he had a plan and he had an accountability partner and he committed to doing it every day. And that's what makes the difference. Yeah, I love that. And goal setting, you say you got to write your goal in detail. You got to work on the goal every day and then find an accountability partner. Tell me about the accountability partner because I write down goals. I write down plan every day and I'm writing constantly. But the accountability partner, tell me how that works or do you have them as well? Like, tell me what that looks like. Yeah. So there's several ways to do an accountability partner. You have to be at a pretty high level of maturity to be your own accountability partner. I know some people who can pull it off, right? They can do it. That's a small percentage. I would say less than 5% can really do that. So now you're going to go out and you're going to find an accountability partner. It's somebody who's on your team, who loves you, who wants the best for you, and who will call you out when you're not doing what you said you would do. So that's an accountability partner. That can be daily. That can be weekly. That can be monthly. In an ideal world, it would be somebody who knows your heart, knows where you want to go, and you're touching base with them probably once or twice a week. And they're like, where are you? Did you do this? Did you finish that? Workout partners, you know, it's easy, right? You find a workout buddy. You go together three or four times a week. So how did you eat? You know, you're getting on the scale. That's awesome. The odds of success go way up. Whatever you want to accomplish in life, an accountability partner is kind of that secret sauce. Goal achievers do that. They write it down in detail. They work on it every day and they have an accountability partner. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a big piece too. No one wants to cross the finish line alone. Whenever you accomplish something, you want to be doing it with someone else. And whether you have a team, whether you have an accountability partner, it makes sense. I guess, could you share, it sounds so simple. Like, all right, you write down your goal, you commit to it every day. And then you come really part of your hit it. Can you give us some other business examples or people that you've worked with that really just knocked out of the park and how they did it? Yeah, gosh, there's so many of those. I'll give you one. Okay, so this is how I wrote the book, Choose to Win. So for five years, I raised my hand. I'm going to write a book. <laughs> so guess what happens? Yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. So I get one of my best friends who's also my agent. And I said, you know, you've been telling me about writing this book. We just got to go do it. So we get together and we fly out to Albuquerque and we get an Airbnb. And so it's like this beautiful home in the mountains for 95 bucks a night. I mean, it's just awesome. (laughs) And for three days, all we did was write a book proposal. We outlined the whole book. You know, this is all my stuff. He's done a thousand of these. This is my first one, right? So that's the first clue. I get somebody who's done it before, right? And so we write this thing. I write a couple of sample chapters. And within a few weeks, we send it off to the publisher. And then the sponsors come, send it off to 10. We got six no's, four yeses. We were blessed. Picked one. When the publisher says, I want you, and you say, "Ah, yes, let's get married. Well, then you sign the agreement. And then they send you a little bit of money. And they're really nice. They're like, now, if you give me what you promised by the time you you promised it, then you can keep your money. Otherwise, you got to send it back. So so if you really want to take accountability partner up to the next level, do this. Find an accountability partner, your best friend, and just give them like five grand in cash and tell them, hey, I'm going to weigh this weight. I'm going to finish this book. I'm going to do this, whatever it is, by this date. And when I do, you just give me the money back. And if I don't, you just keep it. Wow. <laughs> and have, have you seen people? I, it was fascinating when I read about in the book. You used $10,000. I'm glad you went down to five. But have you seen anybody do this? I've probably made that offer 20 times and not one person's done it. And here's the crazy thing is they all believe it'll work. 
They're scared. They're scared. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now, where a lot of podcasts, they do sponsors and ad reads, I do games because we're a little bizarre here at our ballpark. So, Tom, we're going to do our first game if you're ready. You got it. All right. It's truth and dare. Which one would you like first? Truth. Truth. All right. What is one time that you, throughout your profession, going through the business, that you did not push yourself, that you absolutely held back, other than the book, that you had to have, I guess, that you didn't follow the advice of your book? <laughs> oh my gosh, there's too many to count. Because we all know what we did and we all know what we could have done, right? So let, let me think. Hmm. I'm trying to think of a specific case. Just in, you know, we do product launches on a regular basis, mm-hmm. right? We come out with a new product and we do this stuff. And there's this fine line between how much ownership do you take in it and how much do you turn over to the team? Mm-hmm. But guess what? At the end of the day, and if you own the business, then that's your baby. And so I would say on more than one occasion, I've let things go further than I should have, even though I knew I should have been in it. And you know what? When I go back to it, it's just lazy. <laughs> it's just lazy. So it's, it's not fear that you have anymore. You probably It's more just the laziness and uh, lack of execution. Yeah, it's... Uh, here it is. It's not planning in advance the check-in dates, mm-hmm. right? It's poor planning for me. And then it's the shiny object. Mm. Yeah, 100% so, opportunities. So right now, my the thing that I have to work on the most for me is discipline. Mm. Mm. Okay? And so that's why I set aside my first three hours of the day every day and my what I call the perfect start. Because if I get my day right, we already talked about it briefly. When you get your day right and you get all the stuff proactively done, then the rest of the day goes great. Mm-hmm. And so that's a discipline I have to do because I don't have the discipline or the natural instinct to do it throughout the day. I love it. Start the day on purpose. And then also another way is you can set the date or add a constraint. Like you did, said, I have three days. I'm going to get this book proposal done. If you want to get things accomplished, you got to set a date and commit to it. So, all right. You're not getting away from the day. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. So during our games... We have 4,000 people dance. We have them sing. We do sing-offs where we actually play a song. And when that song stops, people have to finish that song lyric. Normally, it's 2,000 fans versus 2,000 fans. Tom, it's just you. All right? So when that song finishes, you have to sing. And I'm going into some kind of a... This is a positive song. Very famous. Are you ready? Have you ever sang on a podcast before? I never have. I'm not. A, unfortunately, I don't have an ear or I'm not much of a music guy. So. I can't either. So this may be tough, but it's a classic. You ready? Don't stop. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> I stayed positive for you, Tom. It was Don't Stop Believing by Journey. Believe. Yes. I think that's a big message in your book. It's about believe. It's better you got to go in and choose to win. So I, yeah. I tried to stay with your theme. But you got the don't stop. You just forgot the. you went into blah, blah, which I don't think Journey, <laughs> Journey went with that one. All right. We'll give you a strong second place on that, Tom. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I want to go into a few more things, great things for the book, kind of what you're teaching. Problem finders versus problem solvers. And I loved, uh, I think the quote which might have been from Zig was, identifying a problem is not negative. It's a positive. It only becomes negative if you continue to focus on the problem instead of focusing on a solution. 
share with me kind of how this problem solving and you had a great story about the copier, how this has become a part of your business and companies that you've worked with. Yeah. And when I work with people one-on-one too. So here's the reality is, you know what, when we solve problems and that's the greatest thing we can do for other people, right? For ourselves. When we solve problems, Rabbi Lappin says, when you solve a problem, you're often rewarded with a certificate of appreciation. The only problem is, is that people get so laser focused on the problem, it becomes the reason they can't do something. They never get over to the solution side. So one of the kind of the thought processes that I go through is if somebody's got a problem that's really bugging them, right? It's just really gnawing at them. We identify the problem and then we move into action. And so we ask ourselves this, is the problem something that happened in our past? Is the problem something that's going on right now? Or are we worrying about something in the future that could happen? So if we're in the past, we can't do anything about it, right? So all we can do is make friends with it, learn from it, forgive ourselves, forgive others, and take those learning lessons to the present. If we're in the present, then what we do is this. We identify the problem, and then we look at the possible solutions that we have control over. And we put an action plan over that which we have control over, it's- right? If we don't have control over it, well, that goes into the prayer bucket, right? (laughs) Okay, that goes into God. You take care of that. Now, in the future, people are either positive focused in the future or negative. In other words, they believe something good's going to happen or something bad's going to happen. And so this is something I catch myself in, and probably everybody does from time to time. You wake up in the middle of the night, and there's that thing gnawing at you. And so what do I do? Well, now I, I used to try to go back to sleep. Now I get up. And I go in and I sit down in my office. And the first thing I do is I write a gratitude list. And all I'm doing is I'm trying to reframe my brain into all the things that I have control over, all the things I am grateful for. And then I look at that fear or that worry that's in the future. And I go, what's the deal here? And so I identify that. And then there's certain actions that I can take today that will significantly reduce the chance of that worst case scenario happening. And so I move that issue from the future into the present, and I build an action plan to go get it. And then the parts of it that I have no control over, i got to turn that over to God, right? And so whether it's past, present, or future, it's good to identify the problem, bring it into the present, put an action plan around it, and then let go of what you have no control over. Your ability to simplify that is astounding. I think if you think about all the problems that we worry about, how many of them are in the past or the future, which you can't control. And, and if we all look at that, we're in a business and we eliminate those from our mindset and just focus on the ones right on hand and not worry about them, say, how do we take action? That may be the most aha moment that I've had in a long time because it's almost always we're worrying about things that could happen or that already did happen. It's yeah. fascinating, Tom. I think that's so brilliant. And I think... Uh, There's also ways of looking at many problems. And I love if you could share the copier story, because we are so fascinated here by finding ways to solve problems in unique ways. Because to give a little background in our story, you know, when I started with our first team in Gastonia, we had $268 in the bank account. I couldn't pay myself for three months. When we came to Savannah, within three months, we overdrafted our account. My wife and I had to empty out our savings account, and we were down to our last dollar. 
We had to find every way to solve problems, not by using money. <laughs> we had to get creative. And I think so many businesses don't think about that when either taking care of their employees, taking care of their customers, or just keeping their business moving forward. So I think that copier story, if you could share that or any other examples, that would be outstanding. Yeah. So in the copier story, this was a number of years ago. Uh, we're good friends with Dave Ramsey, and I wish I'd known him earlier in life. Started taking his advice, and as I was paying attention, and uh, our copier, we had leased our copier, and a guy comes up, and our office manager at the time comes up and says, "Hey, our copier lease is up. We've been paying twelve hundred a month. Now we can pay a thousand." And I'm like, "Okay, good. How long's the lease? Thirty nine months." Well, dude, I don't know about you, but thirty nine grand for a copier—that's like. That's a four-wheel drive vehicle is what that is. And so I said, well, can you give me the exact model of the copier? And it was a nice one, right? So this is a printer complex, and we do workbooks and two-side and color. and That's kind of cool. And then the office manager said, and not only that, at the end of 39 months, we have the opportunity to buy it. And I think she said it's like 4000 or only $6,000 more. So it was like 5000 more or something. It's like forty four grand to own this copier after 39 months. <laughs> So she gave me the copier, the, the exact uh, codes and everything that went with it. So it's an apples to apples comparison. And I found out that we could buy this copier for, what was it, like 20, did I say 16,000? 13,000. 13,000, yeah. So thanks for the math. So I'm like, okay, we can pay 39,000 over 39 months, or we can pay one time 13,000. So we wrote a check for it and we bought it. But then the manager said, but wait a second, the lease comes with all the maintenance, all the support, all the things, and that's expensive. And so I said, well, go back to them and say, tell them that we're going to buy it outright, but what would they charge to just service the machine? It was like 100 bucks a month. It was almost nothing. And so 39 months times 100 bucks a month is $3,900, $13,000. So for sixteen nine. We own the thing, and it would have cost us forty-two, thirty thousand bucks if we'd done the lease. Mm -hmm. Well, people make decisions based on how much money I got to put out right now, and that has nothing to do with the true cost of ownership. And so, Amazing. just a little bit of education. How much did that save? Twenty-five thousand bucks. <laughs> and I think everyone needs to look at every single buying opportunity or even giving opportunities to their employees and how do they do that? It sounds so simple, but when we came to Savannah, we had to get a new ticket. Uh, we had to get a ticket uh, printer, ticket broker, basically a ticket system. And everyone, ticket master, ticket return, every ticket company, it was a dollar or $2 surcharge on every ticket. Plus there were fees and all this. I was like, guys, we're not doing that. That's not fans first. But they're like, but every company's doing it. I'm like, no, let's find another way. So we ended up just getting our own banana-shaped tickets, printed them, and no surcharge, no charge per ticket, no service fees. It would have cost us, now that we sell over 100,000 tickets a year, through three years, it could have cost us about a half million dollars. Instead, we've spent less than 30,000 in three years. It's, wow. But that's what everyone's doing. And again, it was actually making it a worse experience for the customers. You know, when you buy tickets to a concert and you're like, Wait, where's this other 30 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever it is. We eliminated that, have no extra charges, and we're not getting charged either. There's always another way. And I think you need to be a problem solver and not a problem finder. So I resonated with that. And I think about your whole thing, choosing to win, it even comes down to little choices like that 
that can help save your business or help save an employee's job because you're more profitable and more successful. Yeah, you know, one of the lessons I learned is that it's not A versus B, right? Well, you know, golly, if, if I go to Harvard, I'm going to have this education versus take the scholarship at University of Texas. This is a Seth Godin illustration. Which one's better? Well, it's not A versus B. It's what would you do if you didn't have 200000 in debt? Yes. Could you buy a business? Could you buy a house? Could you intern anywhere in the world you wanted to for that same 200000 and basically audition for and make sure the place you want to work is the right kind of place. Yeah. I mean, could you there maybe there's a dream business that you want. Could you go and apprentice for somebody who's doing it like crazy in another market mm. and just work for them for free <laughs> rather than dump a hundred thousand dollars into an education that doesn't teach you how to run your dream business? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's the same. I think it's a very dangerous thing sometimes to have a lot of money because you stop making decisions. Uh, you make decisions, hey, we can spend that. We can spend that when it might not be the best way to make a decision. And I've been fortunate. I've never had a lot of money. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, it's actually helped us with our decision. I want to get into the ninth inning here and get into some rapid fire and maybe one more game. But a few things about caring and a few of the things I noticed, the I like because notes and the victory list. Can you just share a little bit about those? Yeah. So one of the things we've been teaching here for years is we have these little I like because cards and we it's a little notebook. It'll have like 50 little I likes on it, little sheets. And what you do is when you catch somebody doing something good, something observable, you simply write their name on it. I like Kim. I like Henry because and then you write it out and you just hand it to them. It's a little affirmation. And we've had people use them in all situations, whether they're out to eat and they leave a nice tip. You never leave a bad tip when you do this, right? You leave a great tip and you tell the person who served you, I like you because, and you, you mentioned maybe they brightened the day, they took time to talk, <laughs> they went back to check on your order for you, whatever it is, and it changes everything. So when you have a culture that does that, when a company does that, then the people in the company end up getting a desk full of I like because pads or cards. So now you're having a bad day. So here's the bad day fix. You're having a bad day. You pull out your drawer and in it are two things. They're all your I like because, and you start reading those, right? And the memories come flooding back of what people have said about you. And then there's the other thing which you mentioned, which is the victory list. And that is you just create a list of your victories. What did you do in junior high, and high school, in college? What did you do at your first job, your second job? Maybe it's a victory of your luck was at zero and everybody had turned away from you and you had this opportunity to take advantage of a situation, but you said, you know what? My integrity is more important than a short-term win. And so you remember that and you write that down. So when you're feeling kind of down or getting beat up, you read those two things and it reminds your brain of, of what other people say about you, what you can do, the victories you have had. And the greatest indication that you can do it again is that you've already done it. Mm. I have a box in my drawer with every note that I've ever received. And uh, you probably do too. <laughs> You're pulling yeah. out now. I'm pulling some out right now if you hear the drawer open. Yeah, these are just a few. So I love it. I love that's it. what an I like because looks like. No, so. I love it. I love it. It's so simple. And I think every company should do that. I started, Tom, in 2016. I talked about it a lot now, the thank you experiment. And I started writing a thank you letter every day. And the impact that it had on my life in that year, 2016, was unbelievable that I couldn't stop. Now I've written over a thousand thank you letters. I actually have them. They're all, they're all custom made. 
and I send them out. They're bright yellow, of course. And we brought it into our organization. Our director of tickets, who started as an intern, he has uh, one fan a day. Every fan, every day, he, he does a thank you to a fan. And we do videos, short little videos. It's not just a text message, not just an email. It's amazing when you put that into your life, how it just spreads and how it's impossible to go to sleep not feeling grateful. And I don't know if you've heard this one as well, but my wife and I, every night before we go to bed, we do rose, rose, bud. And literally a rose is something great from the day. I'll do one, she does one. Then we do another one, then she does one. And a bud is something we're looking forward to. And every single night, we finished our night with that. And I'll be sometimes like, I'll be falling asleep at like 8.30. I know, it's, it's pathetic. And she's like, Rose, I'm like, uh, you know, falling asleep, but we never <laughs> miss a night. And if I start my day with a thank you letter and finish my day. So uh, with the Rose, Rose Bud, and I, that's why I loved the I like because and the victory list is great. You know, sometimes you feel like, am I making progress? If you write down all your wins over the last year, you're making huge progress. I think that's great. That's awesome. So I love that. Affirmation card. Is that similar or what, what is that? You said affirmation card in the book as well. Yeah. So at Ziggler, we have what we call our self-talk or our affirmation card. You can actually go to Ziggler.com forward slash self-talk, download it. It's free. And what it is, is it's all the character qualities that you already have inside of you. So honesty, loyalty, integrity, character, discipline, love, hard work, desire. And there's like over 40 of them. And you read it out loud to yourself, looking in the mirror. So you say, I, Tom Ziegler, am a man of character and integrity, hard work, discipline, and desire. I love Is that yours. You just go on, right? You just start reading it. And so here's what happens is all of these character qualities are within us, but we have to do four things. First, we have to recognize that they're there because, right, if we don't recognize it, then we got to claim it. Right. So, oh, yeah, I've got it. But you know what? It's not really mine. It's just to know we claim it. Then we got to develop it. Mm. I mean, every person in prison has some level of honesty and some level of integrity. Right. They do. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're there is they didn't develop it. Right. It, they didn't know how to do it or they didn't take the time to do it. And then finally, we recognize it. We claim it. We develop it. Then we use it. And so what this affirmation card does is it imprints on our brain and it says to our brain and our subconscious mind, this is my operating system. Mm -hmm. This is how I do life. And you will be amazed. This gets the greatest life change in the shortest amount of time of any little three minute thing we have is just reading this out loud to yourself in the mirror, claiming these qualities. Wow. It's powerful. And and you do it every day? I don't do it every day. I have in the past, but I don't do it every day. But I do read and input that type of information into my mind. Well, you know, you probably you just developed and demonstrated one of your traits, probably of integrity or honesty by being (laughs) honest right there. Because very easily you could have said, oh, yeah, I do it every day. So it actually has been developed and ingrained in your mind. That is awesome. All right. Ninth inning here, Tom. I've been grilling you, so now we're going to flip the script. You are the host of Business Done Differently. You can ask me one question. Okay, so think back to the hardest time you've ever been through, right? I mean, it's like the end of the rope. You're hanging on, and you are struggling. If you could go back in time to that very moment, what would you tell yourself? It's amazing. I get asked a lot about sleeping on the airbed, having no money, the struggles, and I never thought that it was really that tough of a time because I've always been focused on believing in what's next. But I do remember when I was in college and I found out my dream of playing baseball 
was shattered, literally my shoulder, I everything, I tore everything in my shoulder and my whole life was baseball. And I turned the camera on myself and got emotional because I had no idea what to do. And what I've learned as crazy as it sounds is everything happens for a reason. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me because it got me not to play baseball, but to deliver an experience for thousands of people. So what I would tell myself is, uh, believe in yourself, follow the path. And, uh, yeah, it's belief, man. You know, it's tough. I, you know, now I always tell myself, my younger self to invest in myself. You know, I need to invest in myself with people and books and everything I'm doing, but it's belief. I don't know. I think belief is everything. How much do you teach that at Ziggler? Yeah, it is. It starts there. We teach the be, do, and have. You got to be the right kind of person. Yeah. Do the right things. Then you can have all the life has to offer. So my story wasn't as dramatic as yours, but I played college golf. I thought I was going to be a pro golfer. I fell in love with something else. So I knew I wasn't going to play golf. Well, I tell this story and you probably heard the same thing. And if you haven't, I'm telling you. No, I'm ready for it. Okay. So I tell that story from the stage and I get done and this guy comes up to me. He goes, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. The world has enough pro golfers. So I tell you, the world has enough baseball players. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's again, how can you make a bigger impact and how can you reach more fulfillment and, you know, meaning? And so for me, I could be playing ball, but now I have more meaning and making a bigger impact. Same thing for you. So that's why I now believe I was like, we'll be on an airbed again. Emily's like, Jesse, I don't want to be on an airbed again. We have a new son. And I'm like, we will. And it'll be amazing because that <laughs> means we're doing something that's going to be having a bigger impact. So she thinks I'm crazy, but it's okay. All right. Finish our last few here. I love questions. Obviously, it's one of the best ways to learn. I believe if you want better answers in life, you got to ask better questions. What are some of the best questions you're asking these days? This is great. So one of my mentors, I said, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. He said, explain it. And I said, well, if somebody brings me a good idea, I can literally feel my shoulders slump because I know it's a great idea, but I can't do it. I just don't have any capacity, right? I'm tapped out. Yeah. He says, oh, you're asking yourself the wrong question. I said, really? He said, yeah. You're asking yourself, how do I do that? And you should be asking yourself, who's the best person to do it? He says, you're so tapped into people who probably have more talent, more expertise, more experience in that one area than you do. And he said, that's, that's leadership. He said, that's how we change the world. It's not by assuming everything that comes to us is ours to do. Maybe we're just the conduit. Maybe we're just the hub. Maybe we're just the connector. And so that question of who's best to do this is a powerful question. So, Wow. So you probably look at every other opportunity differently now. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. All right. Final ones here. What's one thing you've done to stand out in business and in life? One thing I've done. Well, my main speech for about two years was zombies. So I don't know of anybody in corporate America speaking on zombies. Why were you speaking about zombies? <laughs> because at Ziggler, what we do is we take the tough intellectual language like disengaged or engagement. And we say, we're not going to talk about disengaged people. We're going to talk about zombies, right? Because I don't know what disengaged is, but I know what a zombie is, right? We've all worked with them. They just go through the motions and you know what I mean. So, Wow. So you found a way to teach something in a very unique way that could resonate with people. Yeah. Love it. This question may be the toughest for you because you've probably been receiving advice for every single day since you were, uh, since you were born. And uh, your dad's got 5 million quotes and numerous books. But 
what is some of the best advice you receive that really, really stands out for you? Ah, when I was going through the furnace. Okay. So you've shared a few furnace stories already. So I was going through the furnace and made some decisions here at the business. And you read about in the book, it cost us a lot of money. My uh, good friend said, how are you doing? And I said, not good. And he said, well, let me ask you a question. Did you do everything you could today? And I had been. I'd been grinding, right? I'd been grinding, grinding, grinding. And I said, yeah, I have. He said, well, you need to, you need to leave it at the office, go home, have a great night, and sleep great. Because in God's eyes, you've done all you can, right? Keeps it and simple. That's a simple thing. That's a hard one. That's a hard one to make your, you know, to get comfort in. But that's... 100%. Final question here. How do you want to be remembered? Well, I have a mission statement. It's simple. My mission is to create the environment that will allow you to become the person God created you to become. It's as simple as that. So you want to be that person? Yeah, I want to be that. And so that sets a really high standard for me, right? And it doesn't matter whether... I'm sitting on an airplane or speaking in front of a group or working with a small team or at home with the family and friends. I feel this desire, this passion, this responsibility to create the environment that will allow the best in you to come out. But that's not a one-sided trip, right? That also means that I can call you out. Accountability. Yeah. I love because, it. Yeah. Accountability is the key. Uh, I love it. Well, on your show, what resonated with Kevin was how I wrote my eulogy to open the book. And I think, uh, <laughs> I, which is a really deep thing to do for someone in their 30s. Uh, yeah. And it's constantly evolving. But, you know, I think that's, you have a personal mission statement, you have a eulogy, how do you want to be remembered? So, wow, I've absolutely loved connecting with you today. The book Choose to Win is a game changing book. Thank you for uh, getting it out there, spending the three days and getting the proposal out and making it happen. How else can people learn <laughs> or connect with you? Well, the book is easy to find. It's at choosetowinbook.com. And you can find me at ziggler.com. But go get the book. Then you'll know all about me. <laughs> Some great stories. Tom, <laughs> thank you so much for showing up and sharing amazing wisdom with the listeners today. Thank you, Jesse. Be blessed. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Business Done Differently with Jesse Cole, the Yellow Tux Guy. If you love the show, let Jesse know by leaving a review on iTunes or sending him an email at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. For more information on the guest and topics of this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.